everyone, this is Noor and welcome to the Radical Contemporary Podcast. Nagiba had hired me to be his office manager. Okay. And I was like, wait, I have like my master's degree and I have all these communication skills. Like I'm going to be an office manager. That just seems like not right. Uh-huh. And of course I got a humble education very quickly that it was probably the best job I ever had. In this episode, I speak to executive and entrepreneur Maha Geber, who has more than 28 years of global communications experience advising global corporate giants such as Google, high growth tech startups, top governments and high net worth individuals. She helps people and brands tell their stories to build and protect their reputations. She is the managing director and founder of Digital and Savvy, a strategic communications consulting firm that has offices in the USA and Dubai. She manages the personal brand PR for Gary Vaynerchuk, also known as Gary V, and consults for other high-profile individuals and companies. I had the pleasure of meeting Maha at the Rise Up Summit in Egypt at the Great Pyramids of Giza Plateau in November 2021. I had been following Maha for years, and she is one of the key individuals who encouraged me to harness my personal brand and start the Radical Contemporary podcast in 2020. We speak about integrity, reputation, building a name, working on being a lifelong learner, asking for help, finding mentors, and the state of PR in the Middle East and North Africa region. So I'm going to be launching an NFT project of my own. And now to my conversation with Maha. Like I was just telling you, I've been following you for a while. I'm a big PR person. I love the art of communication, so I'm excited to talk to you. Can you take me back a little bit? What was your childhood like? Were you always a people person? First of all, I'm so excited to be on your show, Noor. You have an impressive podcast and you're a very impressive person. And I love that you love communication. So near and dear to my heart. I was born and raised in Minnesota in the United States. And, you know, I'm an Egyptian. So I would always like, we come to Egypt all the time for like summers and Christmases and holidays. And I always had a dream when I was a little kid that I would be reporting live from Egypt. Oh, and so wow. I always practiced when I was a little girl, like reporting live from the pyramids of Egypt for CBS News, um, ask my family. So <laughs> I've always been infatuated with news and storytelling and, and presenting and, and getting ideas and sharing them. So that's always been something I've been passionate about. And I finally got the bug of like, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. When I was an intern in college for a TV news station. You, did you actually get a chance to like- did, I was on air. Like, yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. So what happened is I was in, I wasn't on air in the beginning, but I was like an intern. So like you'd be in the newsroom <laughs> and you'd have to like get stories and help the reporters tell their stories. Right. But that feel of like getting the information come over the wire when you have it before you tell it to the news, to the public, that moment between getting the information of a story, a breaking story, and then preparing it to tell it to people and broadcast it was just so exciting for me that I'm like, I have to be in this business. I have to be the news business and I have to be doing this. And then they needed help with some stories. My first story was covering like winning a lottery ticket. It was like a big lotto oh, prize. Wow. That's, that's very Americana. <laughs> yeah, it was very American. Yeah, exactly. And oh. then I got to, uh, Bill Clinton was doing a convention. So I got to cover that. But anyways. That's incredible. So So, I mean, I guess a lot of people always ask me, how can you speak to so many different kinds of people? Does it take a lot of energy? All of these questions that are related essentially to character. So I kind of want to ask you a little bit about that. Like, do you consider yourself 
an extrovert versus introvert? Do you actually subscribe to those terms? And like, what part of your character do you think allows you to excel in this field? Well, first of all, part of my upgrading was my father was very instrumental in like pushing me to like, don't be shy, go talk to strangers, go meet people, go network at a very young age, like 15, 16. I would go to these events with him and he would just like leave me alone in the room and say, go talk to people just to kind of make me build character. Okay. But I think like instinctively, I don't mind talking to strangers and I, I'm, I'm very comfortable doing it. I don't know, I guess I grew up that way. However, you know, it's also a comfort level about what are you talking about? Like, I only comfortable talking about what I know. I'm not comfortable about talking about things I don't know. So I have to be well-versed in what I'm doing in order to feel that confidence. Like I don't automatically wake up with that confidence. Like I'm terrible with numbers. I'm terrible with certain things. So I don't have the confidence. Then I can't easily speak to something. Right. So it's like topic specific. So if we're talking about something that you can hundred percent approach people about, you'll go for it. Yeah, exactly. And actually, you know, learning to that confidence is like where I always talk about invest in your brand, invest in your knowledge, be a lifelong learner, learn things Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because then you have the confidence to talk about things and to share it with others and to impact others. And at the end of the day, you want to create value for other people. And if you have knowledge, you're able to do that. I want to get into like, when did you fall in love with communication? Not just PR, not just from like day one. There's a moment obviously where you go, all right, so this is what I'm best at. And I want to pursue this as a career and PR specifically in the Middle East and North Africa, the MENA region is still kind of a nascent field. To be honest, there are not really many strong PR powerhouses that are, that are local or based here, not international. Right. I'm not talking about international firms and and also not many individuals that are well-versed in the NPR, the art of brand building, storytelling, communication. Right. So that's why, again, I I went and I followed you because you're Egyptian. and, And then I was like, well, this is interesting. So I want to know, when did you feel like this is my forte and I'm going to run with it? It happened when I was in Egypt. I built really my public relations kind of trajectory when I was in Egypt working for Nagib Sawiris, where I was like, I really, Nagib had hired me to be his office manager. Okay. And I was like, wait, I have like my master's degree and I have all these communication skills. Like I'm going to be an office manager. That just seems like not right. Um, Answering phones, scheduling okay. meetings and managing his calendar. I w- I thought it was beneath me. Uh-huh. And of course I got a humble education very quickly that, it was probably the best job I ever had ever Uh because I learned everything. I was inside the business. I understood how things work. I understood how someone like him operates. I understand how he makes decisions. I was on the inside. I didn't see it for what it was at face value. And then when I got into it, I'm like, wait, this is like the best job I could ever have asked for. Uh And so then I started to learn about, oh, Nagib is really good, obviously at business. And he's got people that do technical stuff and he has people that does marketing. What doesn't he have? He doesn't have anyone doing marketing communication. So let me, I can bring that to the table. And then I started falling in love with it and doing interviews and setting him up to do press and, and figure right. out how to IPO. That's when it really hit me that like, you can really build a career in being good at communications and helping people spend time developing their story and telling it to the press because they don't have time to do it. So if I'm yeah. saving him yeah. time, for, that's a value equation. That's a value to him. And then I ended up cascading it to other people and becoming very good at it. Then I became good at writing speeches. And then I ended up growing from there. So 
Wow. So, I mean, I, I was watching one of, I think it was, I'm not sure whose podcast it was, but you mentioned the idea that like, you need to find a mentor and like stick to them. I do believe in having mentors and, and I like have actively went and asked specific people to be my mentors, because I know that like, when you go and you follow someone who's doing something at a certain capacity, you learn so much. And, and I love that point, to be honest. I hope people do take that to heart. So how did you move to Google then? Like you went from being in Egypt to, I'm assuming this was a, this was a job in the US or. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, so yeah. I was in Egypt. I had my own communications firm, which I still have till today. Same company, 2004, 2005. Okay. And was uh, consulting for a lot of companies in Egypt. Mm-hmm. I had a team, I had an office in Mohandasin. And then Google had approached me to work for them. And I was like, really trying to Google, this is 2010. This isn't today where 2020 is like 12 years ago. Like this yeah. isn't like we were gonna launch YouTube in the Middle East. We were gonna launch Gmail. We were gonna launch Google Plus. Like wow. that's how... Okay, okay. Old, old days of Google, definitely aging myself. But yeah, so I ended up uh, getting approached to work for them. And then for like six months, we talked. And then I finally, I accepted the job on January 25th, 2011. Oh, wow. Okay. And if you know anything about that date, then you know what a big date that was in Egypt's history. And it was also a big date in Google's history. So anyways, ended up being uh, in the front lines of that whole story, helping kind of navigate because Leil was working at Google at the time. You know, a big part of that experience too was, you know, Google is a company at the time, you know, their mission was help organize the world's information, but like really they were being like a big player in the advertising space and helping to adopt the technology. We really spent a lot of time during that period of helping people understand Wow, the 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 Arab Spring was good because it helped people understand the power of the internet. How can we get small businesses online? How can we create more Arabic content online? How could we help uh, economic uh, empowerment through the internet? How can we help build your business online? How right. can we help share information? So it was a catalyst for enormous, tremendous change, which exploded entrepreneurship. And that was like a really, really big outcome that I'm super proud of that I think it's a narrative that a lot of people can point back to that time period saying, this is when people felt empowered to use the internet to tell stories and build their businesses. And I think Google is instrumental in in that piece. I mean, I think it's incredible because I I moved to Egypt from Jeddah in 2012, actually, and lived in Wendesin. But that was kind of like a moment in time where I did feel like there was this crazy urgency and like, let's start businesses. And it was like, I guess this is like so exciting. the pre-roll. So it was like, you're telling me like the backstory of what was happening pre that moment. And then it kind of just went like from there. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's still like traction is still fully full force until today. So you have been quoted in saying that reputation is everything, your name, right? And I yes. really found that very interesting because a lot of people in PR, I think they don't think that way. They think that they are behind the scenes. And then so the, the name that is of importance, let's say, is the company or the individual that you are PRing for, right? Yes. Which I think is probably a huge mistake to make because your name in PR is your biggest asset. It's your tool. It's it's all about trust. So my question is, how do you maintain integrity? Like, how do you maintain your reputation and your name while handling a network of substantial like connections. So that's such a good question. So first of all, I'm consistent. I think 
I deal with a lot of wealthy, rich, powerful, important people. I never exchange my relationships for a transaction, Mm -hmm. which means I would never give out their phone numbers. I would never talk about their private business. I would never say what I'm doing for them, like consistently. Right. It's not important to me to tell that. Like my relationship with them is more important than like, if you ask me for Nagib's phone number, you never get like, I just don't do that. From day one, I've never done that. Yeah. I would never you know, trans transact my relationships. Mm-hmm. I value them very deeply. So that's the first thing I do. It is to maintain that relationship with that person is everyone consistently know Maha has a vault. Yes. <laughs> Maha, like she has good ethics. She's good values. She's very right. honest. You know, that that's more, that's my, my reputation is my currency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, in a literal sense, I think the idea of values, I am, one of my mentors actually gave me a book called Traction to Read. And within it are this is like this list of values that you can match people, um, whether or not it would be kind of like a good idea or not to build a business relationship with them. Just kind of like when, so once you pinpoint someone who wouldn't be a good fit, like for you to work with or, or, or represent or whatever it is, you know? I think just values, like it has to be consistent with my values. And it, I have to have a personal relationship. Like I really like to do business with people on the long term. So I want to make sure that I'm picking people that I really can have a relationship with that is meaningful beyond business so that I could really figure out like, I really look at that network. How can I help them? Who do I have in my network that can add value to them? And I'm willing to give all of my network to all of my network. Like I'm willing to take all my relationships and give them to Gary. I'm willing to take all my relationships and give them to Patrick. Like I really want people to feel like if they work with me, that I'm in a circle of trust that was really there to create value for them in the long term. Businesses can be very ruthless and very negative and very bad. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Why? Why? Yeah. 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 So true. Okay. So what was a major obstacle you overcame in your career? Like something that you remember was kind of like pivotal. Just in general that people think because you're a woman, you don't know things. Yeah. <laughs> like just the constant, like having to explain myself, improve my knowledge. Mm, mm. And, and then that better, like, like the more you progress, the higher. Yeah, just because like you just, you get credibility and all that kind of oh. stuff. They're like, oh, well, she, she worked at Google and oh, she did this for the prime minister. And oh, she did this for this company. Like those names help you with the credibility, but having to justify and explain it because like, if, you know, it's just like, it's just the nature of how business works. And so I just did what my dad taught me was like, put your head down and let your work speak, speak for, for itself. itself. Yeah. Um, I think it was um, Amy or Moefi who was on my podcast the other day. And she said like, you can't pretend like that narrative doesn't exist in the room. We can say that it's done or it's over or whatever, but it's easier to just accept it and then yeah. work, work with it. You know, like let's be real, honestly. So do you believe in, in luck and manifesting in your work? Like, do you believe in? Like, so things are meant to be, are meant to be. I really, when I left Google, I, I left, I work in Google and I really wanted to take this other job and I really wanted it. Like really, like I was like, oh my God, I'm built for this job. I really wanted it. Uh And I didn't get it. And I was so, so, so upset. And I'm like, thank God I didn't get that job. At the time you only see what you see. Mm -hmm. And so- that's just how life works. What, how do you see our region, the MENA region right now? Where do you see the field of PR on trajectory of like, are we 
focusing more? Are we taking back our narrative? Like how is storytelling going? Because I think in certain specific countries, I would say this kind of concept has just really popped up around two years ago. Like I lived in, I grew up in Saudi Arabia, for example, in Jeddah for 18 years. And I, and I'm a very big advocate. Like I can totally say, and that for the fact that we, they literally just started PR about two years ago and, and it's effective First of all, I think it's has certainly evolved. Yeah. However, I think, you know, like the Middle East in general is very progressive in leapfrogging stuff. So like something will happen. It's like they, they, they adopt things quickly. They leapfrog and like, you know, everyone went straight to mobiles and went straight to this before going through fixed line phones and all. So they, they leapfrog quite effectively and efficiently at scale. Right. The second thing is, I think still a lot of maturity left to be happening in the market in terms of like, what does an influencer do versus a narrative of a PR? Because I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of people think I can just give it to an influencer and they'll put it out. I'm like, you shouldn't outsource your brand. You shouldn't outsource your storytelling. So building the narrative, I think Dubai is extremely effective at communications and PR. I think Saudi now understands how important reputation is PR and the brand. And like, if you don't have a good reputation then it's going to impact your brand. So I think they're, they're quickly realizing how they can change their reputation and their narrative. Mm-hmm. And even by like all the changes that they're making to open things up, to change things so that people, you know, really see Dubai for who, how amazing it is. I think it's very important. I think they understand it's very important. Are they doing it right yet? Not yet, but it's not about celebrities and influencers. That's not going to build your brand. Mm. It's not. This is where, this is. I believe this is where everyone starts. It's like, how do I get PR, celebrities and influencers and people to vouch for my brand? But I think if you don't have a solid story to begin with, then like, what are you vouching for, right? Like, it's a start, no? Like, yeah, yeah. It's a toy. By the way, I'm so proud of what's happening in the region right now. I think it's ex- so, so, so exciting. Yeah. Celebrities and influencers on this topic. How do you, as as Maha, kind of like look at a look at an influencer or look at someone that's kind of doing something and 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 figure out intuitively if this is of value or of worth or has longevity? Like, are there any markers like ding 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 that you look at and you're like, all right, this person like has a message? Things pull to how we behave, right? So think about who do you follow on social media and why? Do you like right. their personality? Do you like their skills? Do you like yeah. their experience? It's usually those three things. The reason why you are attracted to a personal brand or to an influencer is one of those three things. It could be one or all of those things. So I like to use my page to talk about some of my skills to help people. Yeah. I like to talk about skills. The second thing is experience. Like, do I bring you on my experience? Like I'm taking you behind the scenes at the US Open. I'm going to take people behind the scenes, hopefully Uh (laughs) COVID-free at the Super Bowl and the NBL like I'm, I want to give you guys an experience. Like, oh my it's god, she's like something I would have. Yeah, yeah. And third is personalities. You see on my personal page, my dog, my the freezing weather, the yeah. lake, my travels, like my food. Like I do that. So that that's yeah. that's how I make up my brand is based on that skills, experience, and personality. But other people do it differently. So I think when you think about influencers and what their impact is. Why do you follow them? Ask yourself. I was actually just did a personal branding workshop and we were talking about like this person on the call was asking a question about, there's a lot of fitness influencers on the internet. There's like a dime a dozen. There's a million of them. And they are passionate about training and working out and posting their videos. 
And they're like, but no one's going to follow me because there's like a million people who do that on the internet. You can do it and you can be found. You have a different personality. Maybe you do workouts at home. Maybe you do workouts in cute clothes. Maybe you do workouts with different music. Maybe your backgrounds are interesting. There's something. Mm-hmm. And actually I found this influence. There's a million fitness influencers online. I, I stumbled upon this woman and now I, she doesn't have like, like that many followers, but I like her workouts and I like to follow her and like, she got me. So like she has something that made me stop. She had made something that was very unique for her way of doing it. There's a million people that do kettlebell workouts. Like, why am I following hers? Incredible question to ask. And I, I do ask myself that a lot. And there are a million podcasts and there's a million, you know what I mean? Like everyone has their own little thing, slice of the cake, as they say. But on the topic of learning, so I, so through following you, I, I know that you're in the process of getting really informed on blockchain, NFTs, crypto, Web3, everything, all the things. And so am I. And I feel like a lot of people right now are in like this distress phase of either going full nerd and like getting the pen and paper out and just studying it or kind of like sweeping it under the rug and being like, this is just another thing that's going to be like over in a minute. What are your tools to to remaining very informed, if not ahead of the curve in like, this is the key is how do you stay sharp? Like I am always talking about being a lifelong learner. What does that mean? Means that I'm reading, I'm following topics on on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I'm following different things on Instagram. Like I can tell you what's Mm -hmm. on the pulse of what's happening in the world today in like two minutes Yeah, because I'm well-read and educated and I spend time consuming. Like I know what Wordle is. I know what's going on with Elon Musk. I can Uh tell you what's happening with this Netflix show in the Middle East that's creating a lot of controversy. I can tell you what's the hot TikTok trend. Like it's my job Mm. and it's also my passion to stay. I want to know what's happening in the world. Like I don't want to be living in my cocoon. You know, I want to be well-versed. So I go to Twitter dot com slash search and I search for what's trending. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I follow things on Instagram. I read blogs and I listen to podcasts. Like I do a wide variety. I don't do one thing and I yeah. don't spend every day studying. Yeah. I just make myself sure. And I want your audience to practice this, to practice being a consumer. What does that yeah. mean? Like you're consuming content, you're consuming information. You're taking it from a wide variety of sources, just like your diet. Like you don't just eat the mm-hmm. same thing every day. You mm-hmm. eat a wide variety of things. Yeah. The same to be in your, your learning plan as well. So I think that's fantastic, honestly, because I, I think people, you know, feel like you'll just suddenly get it. It's time. You yeah. invest time and it's a conscious decision to be a lifelong learner. I'm going to do a post about that, how to learn. How to learn is the, is a major thing specifically when you're in a region that see, that is a late adopter because you get a panic with it. It's like, Oh my God, everyone's already uh-huh. there. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. So you're already there and I'm already behind. So sh- like, yeah. what do I do now? You know, that's just generally like the, the, sen- the sensation right now. That's um, a good question. Yeah. My second question is why do you choose to share what you're learning? Because there are selfish learners or selfish, you know what I mean? Or not selfish. That's maybe not the best word, but some people are of the school of, I want to be ahead and not share. Right. I know that for example, Gary V is of the, of the exact opposite school of like, I'm just going to share everything. And like, so why do you choose to share your information and show people what you're learning? And I choose to share what I'm learning because one of my missions is to help people communicate better. Or my only mission is to help people communicate better. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if I can help somebody tell a story better or impact them in a way that's more positive than what they like learning by adding value to them, that's why I do it. 
Okay. I really believe in value creation. Like I have to create value for somebody then otherwise, why are you going to follow me? Yeah. Like, yeah. You get something interesting then you're not going to stay. Mm. And it makes sense. I know like, it's just kind of like, I mean, some people will follow regardless actually, but I think that extra layer, that's what makes them stay. It's true. Okay. So how does it feel to be a woman in PR when you come to the Middle East? Is it different than when you are in any other region? It it was when I I first moved to Egypt back in the nineties, it was like that, but you know, I don't, I don't think of myself as like a woman in PR. I just think of, I'm a person that does PR. Like, I don't think of myself as a female entrepreneur. I think of myself as an entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah. I I really always, it never, it was never something that I gravitated towards in general. Like I, the only reason I felt different is in the beginning of my career in Egypt, where I just felt like every meeting was like 20 guys in me. Like that's, I felt different because the representation in the room wasn't equal and, or wasn't balanced. And so I felt that, but I don't think about that anymore. And I don't feel it anymore. Even when I come to Dubai and even when I come to Egypt. Yeah. I think that that's like, that's interesting. Cause I was just saying that the same to someone. Um, there's, there's a thing here called entre, entrepreneurial or something to do with like any of these like female oriented pink, pink, pink things. I'm like, I, I can't relate to them. I'm just a podcaster and I, and I don't feel it anymore. But this question is something that people continuously still do seem to think about, right? So one of my last questions is, how do you add value in a space that you feel or to a person that you feel is kind of, well, let me rephrase. Like, let's say I, I heard a podcast of yours and you spoke about working with Gary Vee and how he already has a network and you came in and added value. I thought this was fascinating because finding that gap is kind of like, it is PR, right? So how did you find Yes. How do you find the secret sauce of what's that piece that they don't have that you need? Yeah. Number one, listen. Yeah. Watch what they do. Listen to what they talk about. Do your research. Do some homework. Find out there must be a gap. Mm. I had to just sit and look. I'm like, oh, I see there's a gap here. Why don't I try to fill that gap? And then instead of pitching to him, can I do this for you? I just did it. Yeah. And then I told him that I did it and I showed him that I did it. And then after he saw it, then he believed it. But if you're going to like wait to ask for permission, can you do something? Or are you, are you happy with me doing this? You, you will never get that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like three steps ahead and then show people, but instead of actually waiting for that. hundred percent, a hundred percent. What's next for Maha? Okay, so I'm going to be launching an NFT project of my own. Oh my God, is this an exclusive? You're the first person I've told publicly. So I'd like, so hopefully people will get in on it and learn from it and build a community. And I want your help in telling everybody about it because I think it's going to help a lot of people. Incredible. That's something 100% we'll be following closely. And of course, I'll add all of your info in my show notes. Thank you so much. You are the best. This was a great interview. You asked great questions. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, give us a review, shoot me a text or direct message us on Instagram at Radical Contemporary, where we'd love to hear your feedback and the topics you'd like to listen to. Also, you can check out our website, www.radicalcontemporary.com, where all of our content is available. Finally, we'll be hosting a new guest every week. So stay tuned.